Good morning, everyone. I'm Dave Bolin, and my wife, uh, Carol, and I have been worshiping here for almost a year now. And I just wanted to give you how I ended up here this morning. Uh, started going to the men's breakfast. Mario asked me when he found out my passion was the creation-evolution debate. He says, could you present that to the men's breakfast? And I said, sure. And then Steve heard that, and he said, could you present it to the congregation? So here I am this morning. I've known Steve for several years. I've met him at the Shepherds Conf- past Shepherds Conferences, and I joined your church when you uh, hosted Justin Peters here uh, what, about a year, year and a half ago. And uh, so now we worship here. So I have a lot to cover. I normally do this in six sessions. And uh, so put on your seatbelts. Hold on. Here we go. I'm going to talk really fast because I want to cover a lot of material. I want us to have a firm foundation today on what the Bible says about creation so we understand that, so we can defend our faith when evolutionists attack. Next week, I'll get into the heart of the evolution, what they say, and how you can stand firm in the Word of God after we have that this week. Uh, I used to believe in the, the lie, the evolution, millions of years. By the way, that's a title of a book by Ken Ham in Answers in Genesis that I borrowed. I thought it was very appropriate. I want to do a little test, though, to show you how easy it is to lie. The debate on creation evolution isn't about the facts. We all have the same facts. We all have the same dinosaur bones to look at. But it's how we interpret those facts. Are they old bones or are they young bones? We look at the Grand Canyon. We both can look at the same Grand Canyon, but how did the Grand Canyon come to be? Did it come be because of slow running water over millions of years, the way to interpret the facts, or was it a global flood that carved out the, the, uh, the Grand Canyon uh, just recently? So I'm going to walk down the middle here and have each side look at this picture. And... Men that were at the men's breakfast can't give out the answer. <laughs> and I want everyone to uh, get a good look. Okay. Now, uh, someone on my left over here, can they shout out, what, can you describe what you see? Princess. A princess. What do you see on this side? Ugly An ugly lady. So... You're both actually looking at the same thing, but from two different angles. It's amazing how if you don't look at things properly, you can change your opinion on how things look. Yeah. Okay. So, it's an interpretation of the facts. We all have the same facts, but it's how we interpret those facts. And the first verse of the Bible is a test. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Either you believe that or you don't. And based on that will be how you interpret the facts. To set the stage before we get into the debate, we have to understand what the spiritual dimension is happening. And Jesus teaches us in John 8, that the devil is the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Julian Huxley, who was a biologist and evolutionist, wrote an essay of a humanist in 1964, and he stated, Evolution is the most powerful 
most comprehensive idea that has ever arisen on the earth. And John MacArthur says, you know what? I think he's right. Quoting John MacArthur, it is the single greatest satanic lie the world has ever known because it eliminates the need for a creator. People can avoid God altogether, particularly the biblical God. Evolution by Charles Darwin was invented to get rid of God. Doesn't want a God, doesn't want to be judged, doesn't want to be a help, accountable for his sins, and he came up with evolution. A lie fathered by the devil that's been propagated ever since. The devil is a great deceiver, and it's amazing how powerful a deceiver, and I want to set the state, how powerful this argument is and how, how deceiving the devil can be himself. You know, he, here he was, the most beautiful creature God created in the, in the angelic beings, at the throne of God. He knew God in the presence of God, and he decided to rebel. But not only did he rebel, he took a third of the angels. He deceived another third of the angels who were also at the throne room of God, knew God in the presence of God, and he was able to deceive them as well. If he can deceive them, we have to be prepared to battle against this great deceiver. And where was Jesus Christ when this was happening? And he said to them, I was watching when Satan fell from heaven like lightning. And that's why we call it the, the devil and his angels, the fallen angels, or as we call them today, demons. So we, we're up against a great deceiver. We also have to be careful in the church itself. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguises himself as the servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. The Christian College Coalition in the United States consists of 110 colleges. Christian colleges. Only six of them teach the literal six days of creation. There is something known as Evolution Weekend that a lot of churches celebrate to celebrate on Charles Darwin's birthday evolution in the churches. 605 congregations taught that from their pulpits in February to celebrate Charles Darwin's uh, thesis or his, his, uh, his birth. There's another thing on the Internet called the Christian Clergy Letter. This is where pastors can sign up their affirmation that evolution is true, and you can reconcile that with the Bible. There are 13,000 signatures on that website that affirm evolution and Christianity together. There's another website, Affirmations and Denials Essential to a Consistent Christian Biblical Worldview, that holds the six days of creation. Only 80 people have signed that. And John MacArthur was one of the original signatories of that statement. Mainline denominations that say it's okay to believe in millions of years of evolution gave up on evolution in the late 1800s, early 1900s, only 25 to 50 years after Charles, Charles Darwin introduced evolution. The Assemblies of God, Episcopal Church, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Presbyterian Church, USA, United Church of Christ, United Methodist Church, Congressional Church, all teach evolution and say it's okay. So we have false teachers in the church. False teachers are among us who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, many will follow. They will exploit you with false words. It's a very dangerous thing. The most damning words in the Bible are towards false teachers by Jesus Christ himself, by John, by Paul, by Jude, by Peter, always striking out against false teachers. It has a personal thing to me because of Jonestown. I had a cousin, first cousin, same age as me, 
she got swept up into Jim Jones's church, and she ended up down in Jonestown with her husband, her three children, and her in-laws, and they all drank the Kool-Aid. False teachers are damning, and they take people not physically, maybe in this case, to death, but spiritually death too. Galatians 1.6, Paul writes, I'm amazed that you are so quickly discerning him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. This is the Galatian church, one of the first books of the Bible, that, uh, one of the first letters that Paul penned. So this is maybe only 30 or 40 years after Christ died. We're talking about the churches, the evangelical churches, giving up on Christianity and evolution 25, 50 years after Charles Darwin's doctrine on uh, uh, evolution. I'm, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But if, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So the scripture is teaching us this is a very serious matter. Westminster Abbey, one of the most uh, famous churches in, uh, in the English-speaking world. Uh, in this picture here, this is a memorial to Sir Isaac Newton, one of the uh, great English uh, scientists and theologians. And it's hard to see in the picture, but down here in the bottom, I didn't know that. I got a chance to mi- visit Westminster Abbey on a business trip. He's buried right there in it, uh, on the ground. And I didn't realize Westminster Abbey is basically an, a big indoor cemetery. There's over 3,000 people buried inside Westminster Abbey, kings and queens and a lot of famous people. What's really surprising, though, is over here on the side on the ground, you walk over Charles Darwin's tomb. Charles Darwin, who didn't believe in a god, is buried in a church. Just to show you how pervasive this thinking is and, and, and how infiltrating the deception of the devil is, I want to read to you the evolutionary statement by the Presbyterian Church USA, which is they, they uh, penned in 1969, and this is still uh, their, their uh, teaching today. It may be that the Westminster divines, and when they say the Westminster divines, they're talking about uh, the Westminster Confession, which was in the 1600s, which does uphold the six days of creation. The Westminster divines understood the six days as well as such praises as the dust of the ground and the rib of man in a literal sense. But as they were merely using the words of Scripture with no intention to argue the theory of evolution, parentheses of which had never, they never heard, end of parentheses, we are free to interpret their words in a different sense, just as we now do the words of Scripture. They're saying we are now free to interpret Scripture differently. It should be remembered that creation accounts do not give precise details as to how God went about his creative activity, nor do these accounts provide us with complete chronologies that enable us to date with precision the time of various stages of creation. Similarly, the findings of science are constantly expanding. The accepted theories of one generation are often revised in the next. So what they're saying is science can change and overrule Scripture. And God's Word stands firm, it's absolute, it's unchanging, it's infallible. And they're putting man's thinking, a sinful being, over Scripture. They're not upholding the authority of Scripture. And that's what this whole argument is about, is upholding 
the authority of Scripture. So we are in a spiritual war, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul goes on to, uh, so we are in a spiritual war, and we have to be cognizant of that. We also have to be reminded that the world is spiritually blind. The God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's who we are. We're the light of the gospel today, and that's why we're still here, is to share that light and help these people be saved. So we have to remember that as we go through this. Inherit the wind. The reason I bring this up, this is a play that was started in 1955, and it was a play on a trial that happened in 1925. And I want you to be aware of this because one day, one of your kids could come home from school and say, Mom, I just got a part in the play, Inherit the Wind. Schools still teach this play today. They, they might teach and have them watch the movie in a social studies class, an English class, a theater class, a drama class. This is still being perpetuated today because it negatively portrays Christians. It negatively portrays them differently than what happened in real life as well. It's not a true account of history, what happened in 1925. 1925 was the trial of the century. It wasn't the O.J. Simpson trial. This was a trial about life and death. It's about our spiritual health. It was called the Scopes Monkey Trial because it was about the creation evolution debate. We're talking 1925. Churches had already given up on evolution, but Tennessee had a law that said you could not teach evolution about man. It was okay to teach evolution about anything else except man. And the American Civil Liberties Union wanted to challenge that law. I didn't know the ACLU was around back then, but they were. It, the reason it became the trial of the century it was not only the topic, but the famous people that were part of this trial. It was the first trial ever broadcast on radio. So everybody in the world was listening to this debate in this trial. Just like the O.J. Simpson trial, why it became so famous, it was one of the first ones ever televised. So everybody was glued to their TV sets. Well, in this time, everybody's glued to their radio to hear this. Clarence Darrow was the most famous defense attorney in the United States at the time. He had just gotten two, chil- uh, two yeah, children, Leopold and Loeb, off the death sentence. They were, they were up for the death sentence. They were rich kids in college. They wanted to commit the perfect crime. They killed a poor 14-year-old kid. Well, it wasn't the perfect crime. They got caught. And they were up for the death penalty. Clarence Darrow got them off. So he was world famous at that point in time in the United States in the, legal, in the legal world. William Jennings Bryant was there to defend, the lawyer to defend Christianity. He was a three-time candidate for the president for the Democratic Party. And he still is the youngest person to run for president as a part of a major political party at age 36. He was also Secretary of State under Woodrow Wilson. Two very famous attorneys battling out each other over the creation evolution debate. The reason I put that scripture up there, always being ready to make a defense, William Jennings Bryant was on the stand and he could not defend Christianity in front of the whole world that was listening. He could not say with an emphasis that the six days meant six days. He said it was okay to believe in millions of years. He could not answer the question, why did where, who, uh, who did Cain, who, where did Cain get his wife? Couldn't do it. He couldn't answer that question. 
And remember when Steve and Abika were giving us their, their report on India? One of the girls asked, where did Cain get his wife? It's a test question. And I, I don't know if it's because of this movie and, the, and that trial. That's the number one question asked on the Answers in Genesis website. Where did Cain get his wife? So let's go to Genesis 5 and find out real quick. So you have the answer. Let's just jump to Genesis 5, verse 4, for brevity. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Cain had to either marry his sister or a niece, because Adam and Eve are the, only, the first two people, and for them to propagate the race, their, their descendants had to marry each other. By the way, we're all brothers and sisters because we all came from Adam and Eve. Uh, also, remember the law against marrying a close relative didn't come until like 2,000 years later in the time of Moses. So it wasn't prohibited at this point in time. The movie was even... Uh, Hollywood wanted this, this play in 1955 that came a movie in 1960. They brought out, out the power players too. That's Spencer Tracy on the left, who played Clarence Darrell, two-time Academy Award winner for Best Actor. And that's uh, Frederick Mark on the right, two-time Academy Award winner for Best Actor. And in the background, the judge, that's Harry Morgan. Uh, he was a famous act, movie actor. We know him from TV fame as Colonel Potter on MASH. So they brought out the heavyweights to try and promote this movie. It actually wasn't a box office success, but it's been a success because they portrayed Christians negatively, and it became popular then from that point in front to mock Christians in the public domain. This is where the... The Christians were portrayed as the, the preacher, the Bible-thumping, uh, damnation and hell preacher um, mentality, and that characterization came out of this movie. That, that character actually didn't happen in, the, in, in real life. And uh, it, it became okay to mock Christianity after this movie. And as I said, it's played out in all the plays now in schools. The schools are still teaching it, so be careful if your child comes home and says, hey, I just got to play in the, uh, in the play Inherit the Wind. So that's the background. There's different kinds of evolution. Theistic evolution, which says God used evolution. Cosmological evolution, how we got the universe. Geological evolution, how we got the uh, cosmological, the universe. Geological, the earth. And biological evolution, how we got life. We won't get to 2, 3, and 4 this week. We'll get to it next week. This is my, my signature verse, if you will. If I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus Christ is telling Nicodemus late at night that this is the history of the world. And if you don't believe the history of the world that I've given you, why will you believe the spiritual things? And the devil knows that. If he can get us to doubt Genesis 1, and we say Genesis 1 isn't true, and God's a liar, then why believe anything else God said in the rest of the Bible? And that happens, actually, with a lot of our kids. We don't know it, but they're being taught evolution in their schools. And even in Christian schools, even around here. Uh, so be careful. They come to church every day, but then when they get out from under the roof, they discard their Christianity because they've been taught the whole time not to believe in Genesis 1. So Jesus is saying, if I told you of earthly things you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And the devil uses that. We do have a precise timing of the Bible. 
James Usher, who was one of the Westminster divines, in 1650 published The History of the World, 1,600 pages long. I have a copy there in the back table for you to look at. He dated creation at 4004 B.C. Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones came up with the chronology of the Old Testament independent of James Usher in 1993. He came up with 4004 B.C. as when creation happened. How do we know it's 4004 B.C.? Because the timeline of the Bible intersects with the secular timeline in Jeremiah with the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, the fall of Jerusalem. Secular history dates that at 586 B.C., and I'll show you how we get to 4004 B.C. from there. Same thing with Christ's birth. How do we know when that happened? We know that Jesus was about 30 years old when he was baptized in the 15th year of Tiberius Sirius, and we know when Tiberius 15th year was. It was in 26 A.D. You back up 30 years, and you have 4 B.C. Likewise, going forward, we know Jesus' ministry was about three and a half years, and we're at Christ's death at 30 A.D., Here's just straight from Wikipedia. Yes, you can't read that. Uh, anyways, it tells us that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign started in 605 B.C. And so we know uh, at you know, 19th year would be 586 B.C. Over here with uh, Tiberius, they say his reign stayed in 14 A.D. We have to be careful. That's when he, his sole reign started. But he co-reigned with Augustus Caesar starting in 12 A.D., you add uh, 15 years, you get 27, but you should count year one, not year zero, and that gets you to 26 A.D. So that's where we know the intersections happen. If you look at your handout that you have, you have the timeline of the Bible on, on the side with the, all the graphic elements on there. And just so you, you know how to read this, down there in the lower left-hand corner, uh, zero A.M., that's the start of creation. A.M., Latin for Anno Mundo, Anno Mundi, year of the world, which is 4004 B.C., before Christ. How we got there is that intersection. Look at the top there in the purple-colored date, 586 B.C. That's the date where we intersect with secular history. And if we work backwards from there, we see 390 years back to the, when the kingdom fell and Judah, was, uh, Judah and uh, Israel were divided. You go back another 480 years, that's told to us in 1 Kings, uh, to back to the Exodus. And you go back again 430 years to the Abrahamic covenant, which is talk, taught to us in Galatians. Go back another 427 years to the, uh, to the flood, and we can get that from the genealogies in Genesis 11. And the remaining genealogies in Genesis 5 takes us back another 1,656 years. So we add up all those years, 394, 80, etc., you come to 4004 B.C. That's how 4004 B.C. So with five simple scriptures, you can go back to 4004 B.C. Jesus baptized, 26 A.D. That's the other intersection which we already discussed and how we get to 4 B.C. and 30 A.D. So you see that there in the right-hand corner or in the right side in the middle of the page there in the other purple color. The intersection with secular history also says that Herod uh, 
that Herod died in 4 B.C. So that's the latest that Jesus Christ could be born, 4 B.C. So we line up with secular history. It also tells you when the wise men had to visit uh, Jesus in the manger. Some people say it was two years afterwards. It had to be in 4 B.C. or they would have been too late because they did it under the reign of King Herod the Great. Okay, so now we have a world time view. So on the, on the back side are what I call the eight C's of history. I borrowed that from uh, Answers in Genesis. They have what they call the seven C's of history. I inserted the commandments there in the middle. But we have the history of the world with creation, corruption, catastrophe, and confusion. Corruption being the fall of Adam and Eve. Catastrophe being the flood. And confusion being the Tower of Babel. All in Genesis 1 through 11. And if people don't want to be, believe in Genesis 1 through 11, you're throwing out the history of the world. Then we have the commandments that point us towards a, a need for a Savior who came in the form of Christ in 4 B.C., paid for our, our debt on the cross, and then the future, what will happen in the future. So we have the whole redemptive history from beginning to end in the Scripture. It's also interesting to look at who knew who. If you look at uh, the way you read this, Adam started, you know, zero, and he lived to 930 years old. Seth, to, you can see Seth's timeline. You can see the overlapping lifetimes of these people. So if we start back here with Isaac, Isaac knew Shem, Shem knew Methuselah, and Methuselah knew Adam. Three generations back, oral tradition could have been handed down by three generations to Isaac. And I don't have Moses' lineage on here, but Moses is on here, but his grandfather knew Isaac. So five generations could have, uh, by oral tradition, could have handed down a lot of information to Moses. Of course, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have an accurate accounting of what happened. Okay, creation. All things came into being through him and apart through, from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. The new scripture, I mean the New Testament, is almost a commentary on Genesis and confirms everything that we learn in Genesis. St. Augustine, one of the early church, founder, or church fathers in, in uh, the third century, taught in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth instantly. And that became the dogma of the Catholic Church. So when Martin Luther came out during the Reformation in the 1500s, he had to actually teach the six days of creation over instant creation, that there is six literal days of creation. So now we're doing it the opposite of the world. The evolutionists say it took forever, and we're saying, no, it's still six days. So we read this morning Genesis 1, let there be light, and it was good. There was evening and morning one day. How could God make it any more clear that one day is 24 hours? Evening and morning, one day. The word day in Hebrew is yom, Y-O-M. You've heard of the Jewish holiday, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, 24-hour day. Anytime you see the word day enunciated with a number, it means a literal 24-hour day. If I say I went on vacation for 10 days, you know that I went on vacation for 24, uh, 10 days of 24-hour periods of a time. The same, th same thing here. The rest of Scripture, nobody ever questions it when it says one day, two day, three day. But only in Genesis 1 do they want to throw out their hermeneutics and not say that means a 24-hour literal day. Now, a lot of people will say, well, Dave, you just read the Scripture and the sun wasn't invented until, or created until day 4. Well, God doesn't tell us where that source of light is and where it emanated from, but who is the, all, the almighty source of light? It's God himself. 
And in the, in the new future in the heavens and earth in Revelations 21, the new heavens and the earth need no light. The light comes from the Lamb of God. So somehow God provided light and he separated the light from the darkness and he created evening and morning, day one. Day two, he made the expanses and separated them, evening and morning, a second day. A third day, he let the dry land, he separated it from the waters. It was good. Vegetation after their kind, fruit after their kind. Vegetation didn't come from fruit, fruit didn't come from vegetation. It's almost as God knew that there was going to be evolutionary arguments, and he put in here, after their kind, after their kind. Nothing evolved from something else. The Bible does not teach evolution. Day four, the greater light, the lesser lights was good. The sun, the moon, and also the stars. Evening and morning, a fourth day. Again, day five, waters, fish after their kind, birds after their kind. It was good. Birds didn't come from fish, and fish didn't come from birds. They all came from their respective kinds. A fifth day, the beasts of the earth after their kind. Dinosaurs, day six. Cattle after their kind. Creeps on the gr- Everything that creeps on the ground, it was good. And then the ultimate in God's creation, man created him in male and female in his image, and he told us to be fruitful and multiply. Everything he made was very good. If you want to contradict the Bible, evolution does that. Evolution contradicts it because if we have death and disease before man is created, then we have a God that said that was very good, that death and disease was very good. And that's not a God I want to serve. So there was no death and disease. It happened in six days, and there was no death and disease in the world yet. And by the way, he completed everything. That confirms the first law of thermodynamics to say no energy, no new energy is being created in the universe. So it upholds one of the laws of science that we know today. Did God mean six days? I believe God wrote what he meant. He meant what he wrote. And he said, in six days, the Lord's made the heavens and the earth in the fourth commandment when he was given out the commandments to Moses. And he repeated those Ten Commandments in Exodus 31. In six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the tablets of stone, written by the very finger of the God. The only part of the Bible actually written by God himself on the tablets of the stones. I think he meant six days. To me, it's it's an acid test. It's about the authority of Scripture. If a, a church can't get the first verse of the Bible or the first chapter of the Bible right, I'm suspect if they get the rest of the Bible right. And it's a slippery slope. Once you start going down there, all of a sudden you'll see they'll start denying uh, at the second coming. Other miracles in the Bible, they will de- deny the virgin birth, even if, God, or if Jesus Christ was God himself, they will deny. So the Bible also tells us how. We're already in Genesis 1. He spoke it into existence. Here, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So God spoke it into existence. It's a miracle. God is in control. We have to remember that. All things were created for him and in him by all things hold together. And I just want to give you some quick examples of how God is in control of this universe today. You ever stop and think about the 40 years they wandered in the desert, Moses and the, the two million Hebrews that left Israel on their exodus to the promise, I mean, from Egypt to the promised land. Your clothes have not worn out and your sandals have not worn out. God suspended the second law of thermodynamics that says everything falls apart over time, but not their sandals or not their clothes for 40 years. 
They didn't have to worry about making new clothes while they were out there in the desert. Another time, a false teacher who claimed God spoke to him as well, and Moses put him to the test and said, everybody that believes God's chorus speaks for God, stand over here. Everybody that believes Moses speaks for God, stand over here. And the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up in their households and all men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they all belonged, all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol. The earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Uh, if I was Moses, I'd say, hey, anybody else think they speak for God? You know, uh, that would put the terror in me. And God is serious about who speaks for him. He's serious about false teachers. And he supernaturally intervened here to make a point. And this is an example for us. And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like it before or after when the Lord listened to the voice of man. The Lord fought for Israel. God made the sun last more than 12 hours in one day. In one of the battles in Joshua, man was winning the battle, but prayed to God for more daylight to finish the battle to completion, and God granted that. And we have the longest day in history. Behold, I will cause a shadow of the stairway which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz to go back ten steps. So the sun's shadow went back ten steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. Basically, God made time go backwards. God is in control of the universe. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. Corruption. For all in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, 1 John 2.16. These are the three tricks of the devil that tempt us. Does it look good? Does it feel good? Does it make me better than I think I am? The ego. Those are the three tricks he used with Eve in the garden, the three tricks he used with tempting Jesus uh, after his baptism for his 40 days of, uh, of fasting when uh, uh, the devil te- tempted Jesus. So those same things rings there. The apple looked good to Eve. It tasted good to Eve. And she thought she would know good and evil like God. She wanted to be like God. God commanded them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. And we read the genealogies in Genesis 5. Every one of them ends, and they died. Adam died. Seth died. Methuselah died. They all died. They spiritually died when they sinned, physically died at a later point in time. So they surely died. Died. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. The curse, woman, pain, and childbirth. The man, cursed in the ground because of you, and toil will eat all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall throw, it shall grow for you, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. A lot of t- churches that have signed up for evolution don't teach sin anymore. They maybe use the word mistake. But for some reason, sin's a bad word, and they don't talk about it anymore. How bad is the sin? What's the consequences of the sin? Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We all sin, and we all deserve death because of our sin. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only man, but the whole world was cursed as a result of, of Adam and Eve's sin. So sin, is a, death is a result of sin. Disease is a result of, di, uh, of sin. The earth that we see today, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the tsunamis, floods, avalanches, volcanoes, all result of sin. 
And as I mentioned, sin's hardly ever mentioned in the churches anymore. Catastrophe. In the time of Noah. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God decided to make a judgment in Noah's time. He gave the world a 120-year warning. It says, my spirit will not strive for man for 120 years. For 120 years, Noah preached for repentance to these people. For 120 years, they did not listen. Only Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their daughters, I mean their wives, eight people only listened. God wiped out everybody else. He did judge. And this is why evolutionists don't want a God that judges because they know that they are living in sin and they don't want to yield to Jesus Christ. A lot of people say, well, he's a loving God. He won't kill people because he's a loving God. Remember, if you look at the timeline on Genesis, I mean on the flood, it happened 1,656 years from creation. 1,656 years. What do you think the population of the earth was in that time? It was in the billions. God wiped out billions of unbelieving people. Did they have the scripture? Yeah, Adam, Methuselah. They had it. They knew what God had. They had first, almost firsthand, secondhand, at most, thirdhand information. But they decided that every intent of their thoughts and their hearts were only evil continually. The catastrophe, how big was the catastrophe? A lot of people want to deny the global flood. All the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened and entered the ark. Everything that God brought, every beast of its kind, all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds came onto the ark. They're the only people that survived the flood. The flood came, so all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. If you cover the highest mountain, it's a global flood. It can't be. If it wasn't a global flood, God would say, hey, you got 120 years, Noah, to go from this valley to the next valley because I'm going to flood this valley. No, he told him to build an ark because he had to survive a global flood. Next week, I'll tell you how all the animals fit, fit on the ark. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts, every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth. And all mankind, of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of spirit of life, died. All were killed. Where did the water go? After the flood. He established the earth upon his foundation so that it will not totter forever and ever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. New mountains rose up. The valley sank down. The water drained in to the place which you established for them. You set the boundary that they may not pass over, so that they will not return to cover the earth. And as we know, Noah, I mean, God made a covenant that said he'll never flood the earth again on a global basis. Confusion. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation. So this comes back to what I said. We all came from Adam and Eve. One, and he made from one man every nation of mankind. As we know from the Tower of Babel, the world only spoke one language. This is only 100, 120 years after the flood. So this is the descendants of the eight people on the flood already denying God. 
Come, let us build for ourselves a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, which is what God commanded to them when they got off. Be fruitful and multiply and, and go over the whole earth. So the Lord decided to scatter them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. Therefore, its name was called Babel because their Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And how did he scatter them? They scattered because they couldn't speak the same languages anymore. And they were basically forced to give up on each other and staying together. And he divided them according to their languages. So Jatha, Ham, and Shem, the three sons of Noah and their respective families were all separated by their languages. These are the families of the sons of Noah. Out of these nations were separated on the earth after the flood. As I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, when, did the, when did the Tower of Babel happen? Two sons were born to Eber. The name of one was Peleg, for in his day the earth was divided. Now, 2242 B.C. Uh, is a date that's five years after the, the birth of Peleg, that comes from a Greek historian, so it's not in the Bible. He said it happened the fifth year. Uh, so uh, we know when the life of Peleg was, so we have an approximate time of the flood. So how important is Genesis? If it's, it's foundational knowledge to our whole theology. We have Christ in creation. We have sin and death. That's the foundational knowledge. The power of the gospel is... Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And the hope of the gospel is the consummation of all things to come, the new heavens and new earth. And in Psalm, the psalmist says, if the foundation is destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the devil knows that. He's trying to take the foundation of Genesis out from under us because without that, we don't have that foundational knowledge. What is taught in Genesis? God specifically created everything in heaven and earth. It's a miracle. God uniquely created men and women in his own image. Marriage consists of one man and one woman for life. The first man and woman brought sin into the world. From the beginning, God promised a Messiah to save us, Genesis 3.15. He did redeem Adam and Eve, even though they were fallen. He is a loving God. He wants no one to perish. He is patient, waiting for all to come to repentance, wanting no one to perish. Death and suffering arose because of original sin. God set society's standards of right and wrong. The ultimate purpose of life is to walk with God. And all people belong to one race, the human race. What too many churches are saying. There is a gap of millions of years between the first verses of Genesis. This was taught in the Schofield Bible that was really popular in the turn of the century. And this was the predominant thinking of the churches back then, that between the first verse and the second verse of the Bible was this gap. And they called it Lucifer's Flood. And that there was another catastrophe that all happened. And I don't know where they got it, how they made it up, but it had to be made up because it's not in the Bible. And so that's called the gap theory. We don't know what the days of Genesis mean. We kind of heard that in the Presbyterian statement of faith. The flood was a local event. Fossils are probably millions of years old. God uses evolution to evolve Adam and Eve. That's theistic evolution or progressive evolution. The framework idea fits millions of years into Genesis. So this is the framework hypothesis that you may have heard of where they say the day one, day two were frames. God was just telling us a story, and in this frame of time he did this, and in this frame of time he did this. Adam and Eve don't have to be, oh, Genesis 1 is a poem. It's kind of like Aesop's fail, just trying to teach us good and bad. 
and it just, it's, it's just a story to teach us something. And so they don't take it as literal history. Adam and Eve don't even have to be literal people. God made races of people to start with, not just one couple. A lot of churches teach, the Bible teaches us why he created things, but not how. But as we just read, we did learn how. He did it by a miracle. He spoke it into existence. And there must be an intelligent designer. The intelligent design movement has some good arguments, but they don't name who the intelligent designer is. They're not all Christians in the intelligent design movement. Uh, And if you don't name who the designer is, uh, what good is the argument? The Bible's warning, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for they were formerly of darkness, but now you are light of the world and walk as children of light. This reinforces what I said earlier. We have to be uh, cognizant that we have the light and we have to be the, the bearer of that light and share the gospel with everyone. Revelation 22, the last book of the Bible. I testify to everyone who hears these words of the prophecy. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written. Do not add billions of years to the Bible. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, don't take away the creation miracle. God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. A New Testament prophecy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And that's exactly what's happened in a lot of the churches today. And of course, that's what the evolution is, have done. They've, they've given up on sound doctrine. They've given up on the church altogether. They've given up on God altogether. And they have their clubs now and everything. The, the Nobel Prizes, you'll see next week, most of them are evolutionists that came out, and that's a club. They will turn aside to myths. So we now have a biblical worldview of when creation happened, the history of the world, how we got the world the way we did because of sin entering the world and the flood. The flood shapes a lot of the geology that we have today in the world and how we got the languages and the nations of the world through the confusion of the Tower of Babel. Based on those things, next week we'll talk about how evolution does not fit into these things and how it's contrary. I'll give you an example of how to argue against evolution. Evolution cannot tell us anything about the past. Science cannot tell us about the past. Science is knowledge. You have to know something. So think about when you were born. Can science prove when you were born? What do you have to prove that you're born? You have the testimony of your parents, maybe the testimony of a birth certificate. It's eyewitness testimony. It's a reliable, hopefully reliable eyewitness. We have a reliable eyewitness of the history of the world from God. Science can't go back in time. Science cannot know history. Then we have the commandments that tells us what God's law are and points us to a need for a savior because we realize we cannot keep the law and that we are sinful people and we need Christ and the debt that he paid for us and acceptance of that debt and repenting and obeying God. You know, one of the uh, arguments is I don't bark to become a dog. 
I bark because I am a dog. I didn't obey to become a Christian. I obey because I am a Christian. And then we have the consummation. What's the future hold in store? God will destroy the earth again by fire, which we'll read about in 2 Peter next week. So, just wrapping up, if I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this precious time to fellowship together. Thank you for giving us and revealing to us the history of the world and what you want us to know and how you wrote it for us to understand it. It's not hard to understand if we have open minds and open eyes. Help us who have those open minds and open eyes to teach others as well. We want all to come to repentance and none to perish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.